Our sermon passage for this morning is Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that all was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is God's word. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning we come to you in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, and in his name we cry out to you and ask for you to hear our prayers, ask for you to minister to your people, ask for you to meet with us. Lord, we need your grace to draw us near to you. We need your power to turn us from sin and turn us onto the way of Jesus. We need your strength to cling to the cross and walk forward in faith as your people. Lord, we need you. We need you, O oh God, so we pray that you would work, that you would minister, that you would accomplish great things among your people because we're gathered around your word today. We ask this in faith. Amen. Good morning, friends. It's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Here at Redeemer, we are studying our way through the book of Matthew, and, and so today's passage um, that Stephen just read for us is, is here uh, in the middle. Now, what we've been saying at Redeemer is the first three and a half chapters of Matthew in some ways are introductory. What Matthew's been doing in these three and a half chapters has been saying this Jesus, he's the Lord. This Jesus, he's the Savior. This Jesus that I'm going to tell you about, consider him, listen to him, follow him. He is who he says he is. So we've been introduced again and again and again that Matthew is saying, this Jesus is the one. Listen to him and follow him. Let me shine light on him. And so now, 
here in chapter 4, this Jesus that we've been commended to consider, this Jesus that Matthew is claiming is God's one true Savior, the King of God's kingdom, the one who will establish God's work that will last forever, this Jesus is going to begin his public earthly ministry here in chapter 4. It's recorded for us in chapter 4, verses 12 and following. What we're going to see is this Jesus, this Lord, not only has come, but now he's teaching, he's ministering, and he's calling people to himself. And ultimately, this teaching and ministering Jesus is calling people to himself to follow him and to join him in the kingdom that he is building. So let's look at the passage together and and what it tells us. And so we're going to have two points this morning. One is the public ministry, and two is a significant impact. So in the first point, we're just going to look at what the passage tells us about the ministry of Jesus. And in the second point, we're going to consider its significance for us as his people. So first, the public ministry. The passage begins this way in verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went up and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, I'm a redneck from West Tennessee. I'm going to say Naphtali like six different ways this morning, and we're just going to go with it, okay? Naphtali, there you go. Okay, so what we're being told is what we know, chapter 3, Jesus at the appropriate time went out where John the Baptist was calling people to repentance, preparing for the kingdom, and Jesus was baptized by John, quote, to fulfill all righteousness, end quote. Then we are told immediately Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And then at the end of that time, Satan came to tempt him. And after the temptations were over, we were told the devil left him. Chapter 3, verse 11, the angels came and were ministering to him. Then we jump to verse 12 in some indeterminate period in the future when John has been arrested Jesus is going to withdraw to Galilee, think a region like the southeast, to a particular town called Capernaum, which was by the sea. And Capernaum in the Roman Empire was also in the territory that God had given Zebulun and Naphtali when he distributed the land to Israel. Jesus will begin his ministry there. Jesus begins his ministry, verse 17, and his message is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you've been with us through the book of Matthew, that should sound familiar, right? That was exactly John's message uh, recorded for us in chapter 3, verse 2. John said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John's message was, you need to turn away from sin and rebellion because the king's coming. Jesus takes up John's message and in so doing says, I'm carrying out what John was proclaiming. In so doing, he says, my ministry is the one John was preparing you for. I'm the king who was to come. Repent, for the kingdom 
is at hand. Jesus' message has another element to it. We see this beginning in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, quote, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, end quote. So Jesus' message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this is really important. Was Jesus speaking in spiritual metaphors to fill up classrooms with I wonder what he means by follow me? No, look at verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So what we see is this message of Jesus is... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and in your repentance, follow me. Follow me. So the message of Jesus has this twofold. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and follow Jesus. Go where he goes. Love what he loves. Teach what he taught. Say what he said. Seek to live how he lived. Care for what he cared for. Christians, repent of your sin Join the kingdom and follow Jesus. We'll come back to that in a moment. And then we're told, with this message, he went throughout all Galilee. So throughout the whole region, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So we're introduced to the ministry of Jesus as he's an itinerant moving through Galilee, village to village, town to town, and in so doing, he is proclaiming the message of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and follow me. And he is, as he's teaching, healing people, both in the realm of the physical and in the realm of the spiritual. This is the ministry of Jesus. Good. What do we do with that? We're going to come there in a minute, but I have, there's two things for us to see. This is an introduction that is a trajectory for the rest of the book of Matthew. The things that Jesus is, we're told he's doing in this introduction are the things we're going to see him doing throughout the rest of the book of Matthew. So why would Matthew give us chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 of the Sermon on the Mount? Because he wants us to understand what Jesus was teaching. And why would he give us these stories of miracles and healings? Because he wants us to see that that indeed was what Jesus was doing. So what Matthew is saying is we could summarize the ministry of Jesus as teaching of the kingdom, and calling people to follow him. And as he's proclaiming the kingdom, he's also healing and showing that he has the power of God at work through him. And he is generating great crowds who are following him. So number one, this summary is going to really encapsulate what we're going to see in the book of Matthew from chapter 5 all the way to Jesus' arrest 
in Jerusalem. Second, kind of a pastoral point, not just about this passage, but about this whole section of Matthew. The life and teaching and ministry of Jesus is encapsulated for us four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Because it has meaning for us. So often the way Christians talk about our faith is like this. God's son Jesus was born of a virgin and those wise men came and brought him presents. And then sometime later he died. He was sinless in there, but he died and he rose again so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have life in his name. Now those things are pivotal and true. Jesus indeed was born of a virgin. And indeed, he died a death on a cross that he did not deserve to bring forgiveness in life to all who call upon him. But we kind of forget that the majority of his life and the majority of the story of him teaches us about the way he lived and taught and called people to follow him. So here's the very obvious statement that I want to lay before us as Christians today. These parts of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that tell us about the way of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the attitudes of Jesus and the loves of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus are intended to shape how we live as followers of Jesus. They're not just facts that prove he was sinless. They're not just facts that prove he was God, even though they do that. They're intended to shape us. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and follow me. To follow a teacher is to take up the way of the teacher. It's to obey the way of the teacher. It's to walk in the way of the teacher. So as we navigate these things, friends, just know that the life in the ministry of Jesus is intended to shape the life in the ministry of us, the people of Jesus. And some of you are like, well, dude, who thinks that it doesn't? Nobody's bold enough to come out and say it, but we just conveniently ignore it. And I'm just telling you, man, we, like Matthew's gospel is 28 chapters. If the life and ministry of teaching Jesus didn't matter, it could have been about five, maybe six. John still would have used up about 15. Mark could have done it in four. And Luke, man, that guy was verbose, probably 15 as well. But the point is, so much of the story is about how Jesus lived and taught and engaged with people and built the kingdom and called people to himself. And minimally, for us as Jesus followers, it's supposed to shape us too because we're supposed to follow him. Okay? We're supposed to follow him. So let me just boil this down to some brass tacks. You got your WWJD bracelet on. What would Jesus do? If by that you mean I should do as much of what Jesus did so that I can merit the love and the compassion and the care of Jesus, then you need to take your bracelet off and burn it in a fire. We'll have a a, a fire in the parking lot on the way out later, okay? But if by that you mean as one who knows Christ, who's been forgiven by Christ, who's found life in his name, who's been given the spirit of Christ, I should walk in his ways. Therefore, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus think is a a valid discipleship question for me? Then wear your bracelet. Put one on both wrists and both ankles if you need to, because that's a biblical way to interpret things. 
Now we're going to all start judging each other for what we mean by our bracelets based on its color. But I digress. So guys, as we navigate this life and teaching and ministry of Jesus, I just want to compel us that, that the purpose of all this in here is that the work of the Spirit is going to make us more and more like Christ. And so what I pray for myself and my kids and my wife and all of you as church folks is that we would be more and more like the Christ who we say is our Lord and we say who we follow. Okay. I kind of just want to say amen and go home there, but that wouldn't be fair. The first service got more, so you're going to get a second point too. A significant impact. I don't believe that Matthew is merely telling us this is what Jesus' ministry looked like so we can be introduced to it. There's actually some very significant realities that Matthew is communicating, and I want us to get our mind around those. So I have three very significant realities that Matthew's trying to communicate. Number one, Matthew's communicating that Jesus is the king of the nations, not just of Israel, but all the peoples of the earth. Where does that come from? Look here. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went into Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So Jesus went there and started his ministry there very intentionally to fulfill a promise of God, which was intended to shout to the world, my king has come. What was the promise? It, it was, it's from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the, land, the way of the sea, behold, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So Isaiah prophesied that Zebulun and Naphtali would be the land of the Gentiles. And that the Messiah's light would first dawn there. And so what Matthew is saying, Capernaum in the day of Jesus was a regional trade route city filled with peoples from all parts of the earth and all the surrounding regions. And Jesus announced his ministry where? In Capernaum. Among the Gentiles. So what Matthew is saying is the dawn of the light that is the Messiah was first shown to the nations. Is Jesus king of the Jews? Yes. But more than that, he's the king of the nations. All the peoples, every nation, every language, every tribe, every tongue. Jesus came to redeem all of them. And he's declaring his ministry is dawning to all of them, including the Jews. So Matthew, this isn't some accidental reality, like, oh, they arrested John and everybody got scared and popped off to Capernaum. But no, very intentionally, God ordered history such that Jesus would be in Capernaum and launch his ministry there. And not only that, but God placed through the prophet of Isaiah this, this promise, this light switch, that when it got turned on, everyone would go, oh, the Messiah, the king, he's... He's bringing the message not just to Israel, but to the nations. He brings light to darkness, life to death, hope 
to hopelessness. The light of Jesus is in his public ministry is dawning in Capernaum. This theme will rage on through the book of Matthew. Jesus, king of the nations, king of all the peoples. Which means no one is excluded from Jesus based upon where they're from or who their parents are or are not or what they look like or their language or their tribe or their ethnicity because Jesus is king of all the nations. And Matthew's going to end with, so go and make disciples, teach to follow all the nations. Why? Because Jesus is that king. Second significant impact here is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we talked a few weeks ago in John chapter 3, verse 2, about John's message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' message, Jesus's message is identical, meaning he's building off this ministry of John. But repent literally means stop and turn around. So repent from sin. Repent from the pursuit of of self and whatever the world would have you gallivanting for. Stop and turn around. But when I turn around, what am I going to do? Follow the king. Follow the king. Jesus answers that question. You're going to repent to prepare for the kingdom so when the king reveals himself, you follow the king. The message of the gospel has and always will be repentance of sin to find forgiveness in Jesus and a new allegiance to Jesus that shapes all of who we are. And just to be completely honest, the hard part is the new allegiance to Jesus that shapes all of who we are. And again, let's not just interpret this as like a spiritual metaphor. Go back to 18 through 22. Peter and Andrew, when he he said, follow me, they literally left their nets, their possessions that provide income to follow him. James and John literally left their possessions, their nets, their income, and their Father to follow Jesus. So when Jesus says, follow me, he quite literally means become my follower. So when we say, I repent of my sin and I belong to Jesus, what we're saying is, I literally will follow him where he goes, pursuing what he pursues, listening to his word, and obeying his commands because indeed he's that kind of Lord. And it's good to follow Jesus. So our faith is not obedience-based in the sense that we perform our way into the love and grace of God. But it is a call to a new way of life. 
life. Our God who redeems us doesn't just leave us in the muck and the mire of our sin so that we can die and fly away to heaven someday, but he begins to redeem and restore us even now so that we'll long for the day that we can be set free from this body of sin and death and see him as he is. The message of the kingdom is repent and follow Jesus. Third significant impact in this story is how the preaching of Jesus and the healing of Jesus work in tandem. Now, some of you are already rushing to conclusions that I'm not going to make, so let's suspend a little logic for a minute and just, just bear with me, okay? But notice what Matthew says. Jesus was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every, interpret that all types, all types of disease, and every, interpret that all types of affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, physical, those oppressed by demons, spiritual, those having seizures, maybe some of both, paralytics, maybe some of both, and he healed them. So what's being conveyed is Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven's here because I'm the king and you should follow me. And then he's displaying that he has the power of God to undo the curse on the world by healing spiritual and physical maladies of all types. Now you might go, well, where's that connection come from? That connection really is the theme of the Bible. Let's go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter, chapters 1, 2, and 3. If you're new to the scripture, it goes like this. God made the world. He made a garden. He put two humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He said, you get to enjoy me in unhindered relationship. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means they only had the knowledge of good. But they wanted both. So they ate from the tree, and they also brought evil into the world. So Adam and Eve sinned against God. Then the story goes one step further, and it says, because they sinned against God, sickness and death entered the world. They broke the world. So there's this, this lingering connection throughout the whole Bible of sin and sickness, rebellion and death going together. I'm not saying that one causes the other or that we're sick because we sinned or vice versa, but we live in a broken, fallen world that's dually marred by sin and death. It's dually marred by brokenness and rebellion and sickness and decay. And any of us who are over 10 are like, oh yeah, I see that all around me, okay? But what's going to be revealed for us in the Gospels and in the story of Jesus is he's going to prove the claim that he can heal the brokenness in the world by undoing the curse of the brokenness, by, by overcoming sickness and death. So as the followers of Jesus, we're not the Messiah. As the followers of Jesus, we're not the breakers of the curse. So I don't think the Bible says, followers of Jesus, go heal everybody. I don't think it says, followers of Jesus, go exercise demons out of everybody. But it says Jesus did it to display that he has the power of, to break the curse and to institute the kingdom of heaven that will last forever. So there's, there's this connection about sickness and death being overcome by Jesus. Now, I'm just going to admit, like we have to go this far. Jesus is displaying power over demons, over sickness, 
over death, and over all types of spiritual maladies. We, we have to go that far. He's that powerful. That's what he's displaying. Now, exactly what does that mean for the people of faith in Jesus today? What do all of those maladies look like in our current world? I just have to admit, I wish their Bible had a lot more footnotes there. You know, like, like footnote 748. In the year 2020, we mean this, using our vernacular. But we don't get that. So let's not get lost. And we can go to lunch and debate all the intricacies of, of how does Jesus heal now and what does that mean? But know this, Jesus is able to overcome every realm of the fallen world, including sickness and death, including sin and condemnation. And the miracles in the ministry of Jesus are intended to portray that over and over and over again. So we can run to him and we can follow him and we can go all in following him because there's nothing that's greater than him, exclamation point. So this, this introduction to the life and ministry of Jesus is intended to show us that he's the king of the nations. His message is this call to repent and follow him and that he has the power over sickness and death and all forms of spiritual oppression because he is God's savior. And we can trust him to work through and in and over all of those things because he is so if you're with us today, you know, somebody made you come. I just want to say this. We're glad you're here. It made you come and you have no interest in being here. You wonder what it might mean to be a follower of Jesus. You wonder what, what this whole Christianity thing has for me. We're glad you're here. Here's, here's what we want you to consider. Don't consider me. Don't consider this gathering. Don't consider the songs that we've sung. Don't consider whether or not Dan was on key in the third verse of the second song. I don't know if you were or not, Dan. We love you back there. Um, but consider this, the Jesus that brings us all together. Consider him. Consider him by reading Matthew. If Matthew's too long for you, for you consider him by reading Mark. If you need something that's a little less narrative and a little more didactic, consider him by reading John. I don't care. Just consider him. He's the Lord. We just want you to consider Jesus. Talk to me. Go through those doors to the left. There's a table with resources about him. There's a person there that would love to help you. Consider Jesus. Consider this Jesus. If you're here as a Christ follower, then I would say, consider this Jesus so much that we start to be shaped by him more and more and more and more. We enter the kingdom by repenting and follow him, following Jesus, and we go forward day by day and moment by moment by turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus and turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus and turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus. So earlier, Christian, when Austin asked you to confess your sins to the Lord, I hope you remembered what you said. Look at those things and then say, I'm going to turn from them and turn to Jesus and let him reshape how this whole reality looks in my life. Jesus the Lord has the last say over how we live and what we do and what we say and where we go and what we care about 
and let's give him the lordship that he deserves. So now our Father and God, we pray that you would take this message and the words that have been spoken, and if they're pleasing to you, if they're biblical, if they're true, if they're right, we pray you would cause them to be heard and remembered. We pray that your spirit would take them and work powerfully through them. We pray that great things would happen because your word is true and it does not return void. Help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.